How many appreciates the diversity of our church? Amen? Amen. Come on. Hey, listen, I want you to, uh, for the first time since our transition, we are having Pastor Dan Livingston back on the stage here at TC. I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to give him a round of applause in this house for our founding pastor. It, uh, I had to give him a bonus to get back up here, but it's all right. It's all right. That's the joke. And so we... Uh, we wanted to cover a few things. I got all excited about the rappers. I forgot my iPad. Hold on a second. We wanted to get into today and hit part two from last week. Turn to your neighbor and say unity. unity. So we want to get into part two of our last week. And so we're super excited. And as we get into that, you know, I grew up, uh, where I grew up in circles my parents taught me, and one thing that I think is important about Transformation Church, when you look around TC, you see different ethnicities, different classes, different, when I say class, I mean income brackets. You, we've got people from everywhere in all different walks of life right here in this church. And can I say something? In the South, this is not normal. And I, I think we need to acknowledge, see, sometimes we, if you don't acknowledge something, you'll take it for granted. And so we want to acknowledge, and so I want you to look around this room at the different ethnicities and, and everyone else, and, and uh, I want you to put your hands together for your brothers and sisters here at Transformation Church. And I want to, one of our, one of our values at Transformation Church is honor, and, and uh, long ago I was brought up this way, and we built the church this way. That we honor, we honor someone because God made them, not because of what they can do for us, not because of what they look like, not because of how much income they have, not because of anything else. We honor, we honor every single one of you because God made you and we value you exactly how you are and who you are right now. And the person that created that stage is Pastor Dan. So one more time, I want us to put our hands together and honor that because here's the thing. If you, don't, if you don't appreciate what you have, you'll take it for granted. And if you don't honor what you have, you'll lose it. And some of y'all need to grab a hold of that. You want to know why your kid's turning out crazy. Listen, if you don't appreciate something, you'll take it for granted. And if you don't honor something, you'll lose it. And whatever is valuable to you, you need to recommunicate that constantly so that it gets put into the mind and hearts of the people that matter. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So let's get into what we have today. We're talking about unity. And Pastor, before we get started, you got to, uh, so I grew up on stories. Pastor Dan and uh, my mom, they moved to the South Bronx in 1970. Uh, <laughs> uh, 1980. I mean, 1980. Okay. Moved to the South Bronx, 1980. Now, let me tell you. So we, Pastor Dan took me to the Bronx. All right, and he, he, they did ministry in some rough areas in the 80s in the Bronx. And uh, so I remember he took me to the Bronx one time, and, and he said, all right, we're getting ready to turn down this one street. This is the worst street in, in all, like, this is the, the worst street in the Bronx. And I was like, oh, snap, you know. He's like, you're going to see some triple X theaters, just like, you're going to see some, there's going to be prostitutes in midday. You're going to see drug addicts just sitting on the street corner, all that stuff. He said, I want to show you what ministry looked like for us. I was like, oh, man, I just, I just wanted pizza. I didn't sign up for all this, you know. And, uh, and so we turned the corner, and there's about a 20-foot-wide Mickey Mouse head, and they had completely transformed that whole area of the city, right? It was just like, now it's like yeah. Disney stores and stuff. I was like, I think you oversold this, Pop. Like, it don't look nothing like you said. 
So, uh, but anyways, New York, he's got a great story. I, I, I come up hearing these stories about New York, and, and, uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I, as a person, value diversity um, and why we as a church do. But t- tell us a story about New York. Well, Kathy and I, we, we were married in 1980, and she turned 20 on that day. I was 21, and we got married, went on a week's honeymoon, and then uh, uh, spent two weeks traveling uh, preaching, and then we packed up a U-Haul and moved from Central Florida to the Bronx, New York, to start our marriage and our ministry. Uh, at Love Gospel Assembly, I became the pastor of evangelism there where we had 18 ministries a week going out, and that's where we were down there at Times Square, and it was horrible. And then the new governor took over, thankfully, and cleaned it all up, but, um, but it was crazy back then. And we were at pastor evangelism at this church called Love Gospel Assembly, and it was a predominantly a black and Puerto Rican church, a Hispanic church, and we were like the the token white Southern couple in the church. So I can't say I know what it's like to be a minority. I do know what it's like to be the only Caucasian white Southern family in a church of hundreds, you know, of, of uh, being predominantly black and, and Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and they, they're our family today. We love them. I was just up there preaching uh, uh, last week at our New York campus. But um, anyway, because of it being predominantly black and Hispanic, then our friends were black and Hispanic as we stayed there. And we lived in an area just down the street from our church, and we were on the fifth floor of an apartment complex, and we had five locks on the front door, iron gates on the door, the windows, everything. Uh, awesome. Welcome to New York. Sounds and, great. Uh, you know, and so we're, we're there, but we had our friends over because we loved a fellowship, so our friends were black and Hispanic, but we were in a predominantly Irish neighborhood. And we didn't know it, but they were getting ticked off because we were bringing the blacks and the Hispanics into our apartment. And eventually, I, we figured, found out that they had planned to jump us and to beat my wife and I up to get us to leave. And so one Sunday after church, we uh, pulled up to park our car outside the apartment. And all of a sudden, this group of men surrounded my car. And they were waiting for me to get out to do some damage. you know. And I'm thinking, I got this beautiful new wife over here that... Uh, I can't let anybody put a hand on her, so I'm going to get out and get beat up for her. You know what I mean? But uh, before I could get out of the car, vehicles came from everywhere and just surrounded these guys. And all these guys from our church, black and Hispanic, jumped out that were saved but not sanctified yet. You know? And uh, they had heard that their pastor was about to get beat up, so they showed up with bats and clubs and guns and they surrounded the guys that was going to beat me up, and they put that to an end really, really quick. I love my black and Puerto Rican brothers. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that you need to keep some people around you that are just barely saved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I like new believers. I like to keep them close. You know what I mean? In case things get crazy. Anyway, so... Now, we want to talk about unity today, and stories like that is what I grew up on, and, and, and uh, Pastor just poured that into my life, and he poured that into this church, and so, um, again, we want to talk, we talked about injustice last week, and we talked about how justice is greater than silence, and how we have to speak out on behalf of our brothers and our sisters who suffer injustice, we can't stand idly by. Um, the danger in that is I had 35 minutes, of which I used 40 of last week. Um, some of y'all got that. Anyway, so, uh, and we, we don't get to paint the complete picture. And today we're here to finish the picture we started last week, um, which is, you know, last week, because we only had such an allotted time frame, 
It kind of sounded like one people group, the majority people group is just a terrible people group and we need to be more accommodating than everyone else. And, and that's not so much the picture we want to paint as much as we want to paint the picture that God values every single person that he created um, and how we as brothers and sisters need to, to unite to see the gospel go forward. Um, and so we want to paint that picture of unity today. Um, and so today we're talking about kind of where do we go from here. And the third option we brought up last week and what happens is, is whenever we come in, uh, up against an obstacle in uh, in society or in culture, what the, what happens is we get pitched the idea that there's only two options, right? Um, so, for example, if we see uh, something where law enforcement was involved with a shooting with a, a minority young man, for example, uh, what we tend to think is we either have to be for the black community or against the black community. We either have to be for police officers or against police officers. And the enemy gives you two options, but God wants to give you a third one, which is that we can be for God's agenda and his plan for every single person. And we can look for the third option, which is I'm going to value my minority brothers and sisters. I'm going to put my arm around them as they walk out a very painful process of how they see what happened. And I don't have to agree with them to love them, but at the same time, I don't have to look for the reason to disagree with them either. How they feel can be how they feel. And that doesn't affect my desire or the need based on the gospel and the Bible to come beside them, hug them, and nurture our way together through this painful process, regardless of what I think about it. And so we have to, we have to recognize that there's not two options to everything. You can be a part of the third option. And we looked at Joshua last week, we don't need to get on that, but uh, we want to know, we have to recognize that in this world, who the real enemy is, and that's Satan who has a plan to divide us, because if he can divide us, he can conquer us. The church is still the hope of the world, and he's done a great job over the last 30 years, uh, even even more than that, but particularly the last 30 years, dividing the church intentionally. And if we can become unified, we can show the world what unity is supposed to look like. Um, and so we need to recognize who the real enemy is and stop looking at each other, thinking everyone else has the problem. No, the enemy has a problem, but we have the God who's victorious over him. So we don't have to keep fighting him. We can let God fight him as we unite together. Okay? I think we have to be careful because we live in a society today of extremism. Everything's extreme. You're either far left, far right, Democrat, Republican, black, white. Everything's extreme, and we've lost the balance of truth. And, and we've traded that for these extremes. And what happens is then we find ourselves that I have family in law enforcement. I support law enforcement. I thank God for those that lay their life down every day for us to have the safety that we do. That doesn't mean there's not some bad officers, just like there's preachers that are crooks. But that doesn't make us one, you know. <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> doesn't make us me. one. But I'm saying, but that doesn't mean we turn a blind eye when there's reality of something done wrong either. Right. And because we want truth. And so what, Pastor Brad, I just want to jump in there and say we've got to be careful. And it's not about just color. It's not about just race. It's about justice versus silence or injustice because silence is injustice when justice has been taken away from people. That It could be people that are in poverty. It could be people in all types of walks of life that we realize we can't go on the extremes. We've got to come back to this, that God called the church to reach the world with the love of his son, Jesus. And I can't do that if I have hatred or offense in my heart toward any group of people 
regardless of what it is that identifies them and makes them that group, whether it's color, social standing, whatever, that we don't go to the extremes, but we see the dignity and the value of life, and we cherish that, that every person is a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere, and we cherish that, and we do everything we can do to reach that person with the hope of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we want to give you four things today, and we didn't give you sermon notes. We kind of just wanted you to listen and absorb, and maybe if you want to take notes on your phone and your Bible or whatever, we can certainly uh, feel free to do that. But we didn't want to give you guys sermon notes today we, as much as we wanted to have a conversation and let you guys be a part of it. So four areas that we feel like we can create unity if we can pay attention to these four areas. The first one is actually kind of what Pastor just talked about and what we mentioned last week, uh, which is you need to rename every person you come in contact with your brother or your sister. You need to rename everyone your brother or your sister because here's the deal. How many of you guys remember old Western movies? Anybody remember the old Western movies where they had cowboys and Indians? Do you guys remember what they used to call the Indians? Savages, right? And what happened is when they were, when they were calling them savages, what they were doing is they were not identifying them as God-made creatures. They, weren't, they were not identifying them with value. And when they could remove their value from them, then they could remove their love for them too. And what we have to do is we have to start identifying every single person we come in contact with as a brother or a sister. Because if I can identify them as a brother, I'll love them like a brother. That means when they hurt, I'll hurt like a brother. And as I identify them as a brother or a sister, what I'm now doing is giving myself permission to love them no matter what they're doing. I have a, I have a brother, Tommy. I've got two sisters, Cindy and Natalie. And, and we don't agree on everything. But I can tell you this. Like, if you come at them to hurt them, I'm going to stand like, sorry, you're going to have to go through me. And we have to become like that for our brothers and sisters, no matter what they look like, no matter what their income is. Because what a lot of people heard, a lot, a lot of people got so defensive last week about what we were saying. Not a lot. A few people got so defensive last week about what we were saying that they missed what we were saying. Because this, wasn't, this is not a black and white issue. There are income classes that separate people more than race classes do in some areas. So we used the term people group last week a lot because we're talking about we need unity amongst all people groups, not just races or ethnicities. We need unity, period, in the, bottom of, in the body of Christ so that we can move forward with the gospel, right? So we have to rename scriptures for this. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says this. Then Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. How many of you guys ever heard that, that scripture before, right? How many of you guys know what comes after that? And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. See, we love to talk about, matter of fact, the Bible even goes beyond, after verse 39, he even actually, God goes on to say that if you love, if you don't love your brother, but you say you love me, you're a liar. He says, how could you love someone that you can, how can you love someone you can't see, but not love someone that you can see? 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. So when we name, when we rename every single person around us, our brother or sister, it changes how we love them. We have to change how we love them. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. Now, if it's your spouse, don't get weird, okay? It's the same time and the place, all right? But we have to love our brothers and our sisters. There's a, a term called grouping, right? When we talk about grouping, there's in-groups and out-groups. Say in-group, in say out-group. Out 
So you have in-group and your out-group. Your in-group is the group that you're familiar with, the group that uh, you know the struggles of your group, right? You know the struggle. You know what they go through. You know what, they, what hurts them. You know what, what they celebrate over. You, you know your in-group. Your out-group is the group that you're ignorant to those things, right? So for example, all the, all the ladies, where y'all at? Can I hear y'all today? Where you at, ladies? All right. Fellas, where y'all at? Where y'all at, fellas? Now, some of y'all sounded the same as them ladies. I don't know what y'all doing out there. Y'all playing games. So listen, no, I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. I, all of us, because in-group and out-group is not just about ethnicity. It can be about anything. Us pastors, we have an in-group. We are familiar with the, the ins and outs of the day-to-day life and the struggles that pastors go through that people, the people that are not pastors don't understand. So you can have racial in-groups where one race understands something that people outside that race don't, right? We can also have, <clears throat> ladies, y'all are an in-group. Y'all understand stuff that us guys don't understand. And for the don't sake of God, to. we never will. So if, listen, if we said we're going to fix the dishwasher, we are. There's no need to remind us every six months. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, <clears throat> but y'all have, there are in groups and it's not just broken. It can be in group about anything, right? So uh, if you are a mother in here, you can have a conversation about uh, having a baby that quite frankly, not only can I not speak in that group, I don't even want to be present for the conversation. Okay. So there are a number of different in groups that you know the struggle because you partake in it, but you also know the celebration because you partake in it. That's your group. Then there's the out group. Right? And your outgroup are the things that you're ignorant to. I don't mean ignorant from a negative connotation. I mean, you genuinely don't know. So when I have, uh, when I hear ladies talk about how bad having a baby is, and I'm like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. It doesn't mean that I don't love them. It just means I don't know what you're talking about. Whenever uh, a minority brother and sister has a conversation about a struggle that they're having, I can go, I don't know what you're talking about. But it doesn't mean I don't love them just because I don't know what they're talking about. More importantly, in those scenarios, we come along beside them and say, explain to me what you're talking about. And we can learn something, right? So there's a thing called in-group bias and out-group discrimination, right? In-group bias and out-group discrimination. This isn't just a race thing. This is just period. I want to give you kind of some different things because in-group bias means people like me. Say like me. In-group bias is people like me. And so this is your tendency to give preferential treatment to your in-group, okay? So I want you to think for a second, well, who is your in-group, right? So we're in the South. Maybe you love football, right? How many, how many of y'all football fans in the house, right? Right? <clears throat> so if you're a football fan, someone comes along, like they love football, they're automatically part of your in-group. Maybe we can talk about football. Listen, you can come, come over to my house, eat my food, date my daughter, whatever. Like if they love football, then they, like y'all on the same page already. So, and so you have in-group, so you have tendencies to treat people in your in-group differently. So these are some of the ways that you would do that, right? I am more comfortable with those like me. I am more inclined to spend time with those like me. I am more patient with those like me. I will give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made to those like me. It is easier to communicate with those like me. I will get along easier with those like me. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those like me. I possess positive assumptions about those like me. When they're like me, it's easier to understand them and I give more grace, right? How many of y'all ever had somebody, how many of y'all have someone you're, you're really, really close to, they're in your in-group, they mess up, they do something, and you're like, man, it's all good, don't worry about it. But then someone that's not in your in-group, and quite frankly, you really don't like them that much, they do the same thing and you're just like, oh, right? Because you don't give the same grace to that person as you give to the person that sits next to you every day. 
we change. It changes the bias, right? And so you see, I see it common amongst like, uh, people that served in the military. That is an in-group that no one else understands unless you were there. And so we have to understand that those groups exist, right? Um, I think about it like this. Every time, um, I love to play basketball. Any basketball people playing in here? Gee, I see in the front, I know. So uh, basketball people in here? I know it's the South. Y'all are football people. Y'all are weird. Anyway, so, but I love playing basketball. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm white. So um, there is a bias about white people on the basketball court. I'm just letting y'all know it's real. It's out there, okay? We get one person per generation. That's great. Larry Bird. And then it got blurry for a while. So anyway, so, <clears throat> but all that to say, <clears throat> when, I go, when I go play basketball on the basketball court, there's, there's an immediate bias of like, oh gosh, here's a white guy. I'm dead serious. This is how it goes, okay? But it's cool. I'm used to it, all right? Um, so when I do that, DeMarcus went to school with me. We know. It's, yeah, it's all good. But here's the deal. I'm good for one or two like sports center worthy plays per day. I'm going to be real with you. You know, I'm not as fast as I was in high school. Like, you know, so I can't do some of those things. But I'm good for one or two per day. And the moment that I do something, it, it's like a switch goes off in their brain and they're like, oh, this dude can play. Now, I'm not lying to you. I'm not Michael Jordan. Don't get it twisted. Okay, I'm not trying to hype it up to what it's not. I'm saying <clears throat> I can play basketball. And when, when the moment happens that I do something on the basketball court and everyone, like just the other day, I did, I, it was crazy. It was not, And like literally 50 people just ran across the court screaming because the white dude did something amazing. If it had been a black dude, everybody would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that to say, when it happens, the switch went off in somebody's mind, and they were like, oh, got it. This dude can play. And they, people that weren't having conversations with me before that play started having conversations with me after that play because they went, oh, this dude, can, this dude gets it. He understands. And what happened is I moved from the out group of many people into their in group based on something that I proved to them that I could do. Does that make sense? That's the same way it works in culture. We see people in the, oh, no, they're in, they're in the out group. Like, ah, I, don't, I don't agree with them. I don't understand. I, ah, like, uh, I don't know their struggle. I don't know where they come from. I don't understand why they're hurting. I don't so we keep them on the out group. And the minute that they come to us and say, oh, we can agree on this, all of a sudden we welcome them into our in group. But can I tell you something? The second thing that we want you to understand is that you need to give in group love all the time to out group people. If we're going to see unity, you have to give in-group love to out-group people. I want to just give you the list of what out, the out-group discrimination would look like, right? So these are people not like me. Your tendency to give less preferential treatment. So I am less comfortable with those not like me. I am less inclined to spend time with those not like me. I am less patient with those not like me. I will be less likely to give the benefit of the doubt to those not like me. I express less grace when mistakes are made by those not like me. It is harder to communicate with those who are not like me. It is harder to get along with those who are not like me. I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are not like me. And I possess negative assumptions about those not like me. So that's outgroup bias. And what we have to do is start giving in-group love to the out-groups of our life. Listen, don't pretend out-groups don't exist. They exist. Okay, you have out-groups. You have people that are outside of your circle of influence. They don't understand your struggle and you don't understand theirs. What I'm, not, I'm not saying pretend that the out-group doesn't exist. I'm saying acknowledge that it does exist and give 
in-group love to those who are on the out-groups of your life so that you guys can come together to have conversations to create unity. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, somewhere in your life, it may be sports, it may be, I doubt politics because that's always a separator. It may be sports, it may be life, it may be where you went to school, it may be a family member that lives in the same state as a family. There is something in your life that can tear down the walls of bias and discrimination. You just have to have a conversation long enough to find it. Give in-group love to your out-group, okay? You said something in the podcast. If you did not hear the podcast we did this week, I really encourage you to go online and hear it. It followed up last Sunday, but you made a comment. You know, how many of us besides me has ever said, talking to someone, I, I don't see color, I'm colorblind? It's referring to people and races. Anybody? Come on. I know I'm not the only one in here. I, any any African-American other minorities have said that? I don't see color. I see. Who did we say that to? We said it to the person of the other race, didn't we? So I'm speaking to my, my African-American, and I don't see color. Well, then why did I say it? Because I don't tell my Caucasian brothers that. What is Caucasian? So I did see color. I would not have made it a comment, right? Right. And so what I really told them was I see color. I just don't want to admit it. You know, because we don't tell people of our same race that is someone of a different race. So in reality, we are seeing color. And so it's an unconscious, subconscious thing sometimes that, that separates why I'm saying that. It, we, yeah. we unconsciously separate the in and out group without realizing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> These are two phrases that I think we could do away with and we would be better as a society. The first one um, is let's get all the details first. Let's get all the details first. What happens is with something, when, when something happens and two different groups see it differently, for example, in the majority context, uh, and I'm going to use the only example that I think is tangible to us and it's real world because it's, it's happening. If we were to see a police officer and we honor police officers, but I'm using a tangible example that everyone can understand, okay? If we see a police officer shoot a young African-American man, right, the majority defaults to, let's get all the details first, does the details change the value of that young person's life? No. What he did in his past or what he was doing in the present doesn't necessarily dictate whether or not a community can mourn over the loss of a life. Here's the deal. In conservative circles, when life gets taken in the womb, we're disgusted. But when it gets taken on the street, we want all the details first. I figured it'd be quiet, but that's okay. Like, what we have to do... Here's the deal. We have to recognize that God created all of us, and if he created all of us, then we have to mourn when all, anyone, whoever they are, doesn't justify death. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't certain circumstances where police have to take drastic measures. What I'm saying is we don't need all the details to mourn with brothers and sisters who mourn in the face of a problem that is happening to a community. I can come alongside you and say, I don't even get it. I don't even understand why you're hurting necessarily, but you're hurting, and I love you, therefore I'm hurting. If my brother hurts, I hurt. If my sister hurts, I hurt, all right? At the same time, I think that there's also another phrase that we need to stop using, and this is, more, this is seen more in minority circles. And when I say minority circles, I'm not necessarily talking about African-American or Hispanic. What I'm talking about is the out-group of a larger in-group, right? Um, and that is the phrase, that's how we feel when. Because what happens is in situations, if a police officer were to get shot by someone else, right, uh, a lot of times in a community, someone would say, well, now y'all know how I feel when, and it's like, no, we don't need that either. What we need to do is mourn with those who mourn, which is what scripture says. We need to hurt with those who hurt, and we need to celebrate with those who have the right to celebrate. 
So when something great happens on behalf of a community, we celebrate on behalf of the community. When a community hurts, a people group that is part of this body hurts, then we all hurt. Why? Because we love one another. And I don't need to see things the same way as you to hurt because you hurt. Listen, I may never understand the struggle of some of my minority brothers and sisters. I may never get it. But all I know is you matter to me. I don't have to agree with you. You matter to me. So I'm going to put my, heart, my arm around you, and if you say we're going to cry, then we're going to cry. And if you say we're going to laugh, then we're going to laugh, right? And then we'll have a conversation later. What people want to do is have conversations during the morning time, and that ain't the time. You ever, seen someone, you ever seen a news reporter run up in somebody's face with a microphone right after something crazy happened? Like, what do you think about this? Like, what do you think I think? I'm hurting Right. And what we need to do is stop looking for those times to have conversations about who is right and who's wrong and start looking at those as opportunities to create unity. We'll have a conversation later. That makes sense. And so we want to move towards unity. I want to give you these real quick. Um, number three is we want to we need to if we're going to accomplish this, we need to change the next generation. We need to raise up the next generation of children. We need to raise up the next generation of young people to understand that God's value in people is God's value in people. And no one else can change it because he already said it. Okay? And so, man, we need to raise up a new generation. I celebrate. I think of people like Heather who, who is in our church. She's, she moved in with her aunt and uncle. Moved from Mexico to the United States. Didn't even speak English when she was around. I think around seven years old she moved here. Didn't speak English. Her aunt used the Bible to teach her English in the United States. Um, and she came up through our children's ministry with amazing kids leaders. Uh, and then she went through our student ministry um, with amazing student leaders uh, who helped disciple her. And now she is on our staff as our dream team coordinator uh, and our go chat coordinator. And it's, it's awesome. But here's what I want you to understand. She has our heart because she was, she was, we poured our heart into her. Right? She's a Hispanic girl that married a white dude. All right? So, but she, she is an amazing young woman, but someone had to come alongside her to make the difference in her life, to raise her to be different than what other people would have raised her as. You understand what I'm talking about? And here's the question that I have for some of you, because here's the deal. How many of y'all recognize we need to make a difference in the next generation so we can see God do something amazing in them, right? We need to make that difference. So here's, what, here's the, one of the questions I have. How many of you have sons and daughters or nieces and nephews or grandsons or granddaughters that you are hoping, hoping that someone comes alongside them and pours the gospel into them, that someone raises them up to teach them who Jesus is and about the cross and about grace and mercy, that someone comes alongside them to love them and to show them that this world doesn't have to be the way it is now? How many guys are hoping that someone comes along, someone in your life to teach them about about how great God is and pours into them to show them. How much, like, we're all there, right? Here's the deal, though. At the same time, there is a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or uncle or a mother or a father that is somewhere else whose kids are right down the hallway here at Transformation Church. And as much as you're hoping someone makes a difference in their life there, they're hoping that someone makes a difference in the kid's life here. And I want to challenge you that for some of you, you you've been sitting back going, ah, you know, I'm just really content coming to church on Sundays and I'm just kind of happy just doing this. Can I tell you something? God never made men or women who are in the community of faith. He never made you to just be a church attender. He made you to be a difference maker. 
And what I, I want to encourage you today is if there is something in your heart that goes, I want to be a difference maker in the next generation. I want to see God do something different in the kids' lives today than was done in the lives of those in the past. I want to be someone that can pour into and make sure that generations after this are transformed and they don't keep fighting the same struggle they were fighting. And if that's you right now, like you just think, you're thinking in your heart and in your mind, like, pfft. That's me. Like, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of that. I want to encourage you. After this service and the double doors in the back of the sanctuary, uh, we are going to have Christina, our amazing TC Kids coordinator. She's going to be back there. And if that's you, you're like, man, I want to make a difference in the kids. Man, I want to pour into the children so I can see them raised up in the gospel. But listen, if we can get them at five, we don't have to fix them at 15. And if that's you, I want to encourage you at the end of this service, I want you to join us in Dream Team Central, which is the double doors right back there in the sanctuary. And I want you to talk to Christina about how you can, we, listen, we don't need teachers necessarily. Some of these kids just need a hug. Some of these kids have parents who wish they weren't born. And all they need is a high five and a smile. And we need people for that. If, if I can jump on that, there's such an opportunity we're growing right now tremendous in our children's ministry because we've got a lot of young families starting to come. It's growing back there. But he used to be one of our children. He grew up in the children's ministry of this church. And I, I can name the children's workers that were his children's pastors in. And then he got into the youth ministry and we had the meanest youth group here ever. We were the youth, worst youth group worst in the Worst youth group. The, the pastor's children were a big part of it. So, you know, PKs, they're bad. And, uh, but Alan and Sherry Pons, who were in the first service, were the youth pastors, or Brad and my children. And they've grown up in the church, never dreaming or even thinking that that little boy that turned to that harassing teenager was going to eventually be my pastor. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And so I just want to encourage you today. We're not over here begging. We want to give you an opportunity because how many really does want to make a difference in this area of justice Amen. and unity and making a difference because Jesus has told us to take the gospel to the world and we're blessed with a very diverse last time we counted we're somewhere between 15 and 20 nationalities in this church every Sunday come on somebody that's pretty awesome <clears throat> and and how can you do that go volunteer in the back on a Sunday one service sit in one and just serve in one don't miss service, sit in one, serve in one, and just go back. You don't have to teach, just be there to just be around the kids and hug on them and go through growth track. Meet with Christina today. She'll tell you how to do that. But I believe that we truly, we can't change America, but we can change our community and start here. Come on, somebody. Amen. And we do that by investing in our children. That brings us to point four. We're gonna give this to you. And that's that we need to give our heart to those not like me. I need to give my heart to those who are not like me. And we do that by serving one another and we do that by loving one another. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna see, I was looking, it's so dark in these lights, I'm looking for truth. I don't know. Oh, there he is. Come here, Tremaine. I asked Pastor Brad if I could do this. True is, here he comes. He's one of our spiritual sons here in the church. Oh, he went to get Kleenexes. <laughs> oh. He was in the first service, so he has a picture of what's coming, so. Trues, I love him too.
True, True's one of my sons. He got born in the summer. So he's a little darker than the other one. Literally, he is a spiritual son. We're blessed. We have two African-American families in this church that we have four generations. They have stayed under, our, been under our ministry for four generations. True is one of them. Granny is here and then her daughter, Van, and which is True's mom. True and Gina now have TJ, so that's four generations of this family that have been part of our ministry and part of our lives for uh, 25 years now. 25 years, that's awesome. We have two families that way. Have four generations, two families, but I wanna say this because you see there was an election several years ago by a candidate which became president, President Obama, and he, a black, as we know, a black president, and he ran on the, the, his whole platform was based on one word, and that was change. You remember that? And one side was like celebrating, because remember, we're on streams in our nation, so one side's like celebrating change, because in their mind, they're thinking a different change than the other side's thinking. And the other side's over here worried, what's this change gonna look like, so we never came together for it. And then after President Obama, we have President Trump, and his platform was built on this phrase called, make America great again, and one side's going, yeah, let's do that because in their mindset, they're thinking some of the things that were changed that might need to be changed back. There were changes that President Obama made in some social issues that needed to be made. There are some things that he changed and some morality issues that as a Christian, I had issues with. So there was good and bad in my view. And then when President Trump came and he said, we're gonna make America great again, some on one side was going, hopefully that's gonna be some of these morality things that we wanna see changed. And the other side now is the one that's scared to death going, what's that gonna look like? Because to me, America's never been great. And that's why Pastor Brad made a statement last week. It's not about making America, this is not a political thing as he said last week. I, I, I'm not here to endorse anybody. I didn't endorse either one of the two but I pray for them because they're my president and I bless them because I want my nation blessed. Are you with me today? So this is not a political statement because to me as a white man, I could be going, let's make America great again because I just wanna see it as a moral godly nation where through his view, he could be over here going, I don't get that because I understand the history of those fine because you see around the 1700s, there were millions of his people, his race, that were brought from Africa to America by my nationality, by my people. They were slaves and they were brought over on death ships. And historians tell us that somewhere between 15 and 60 million Africans died in that journey, in that process. That's 10 times the Holocaust, potentially. And anyone knows us, we're a firm believer of Israel, supporting Israel and the Holocaust was very real in its ugliness. And we talk about that often, but we don't talk about the 15 to 60 million. Let's just kind of sweep that over here. So our, our black brothers and sisters that we call brothers and sisters, but at that time we didn't, we called them servants. We called them slaves. They were brought here to serve, to make our life better. So to them, they're still waiting for it to become great. Now I can sit and we can argue that or I can say I need to stop and understand why is he saying that? Why does he feel that way and learn? And you see, I didn't do that to his race. You didn't do that to his race. So that prevents us from becoming defensive today because I'm not attacking you as a white person today, but I am here to admit and acknowledge that my race did that 
to his race. I didn't do it. He knows I will die for him today. He knows that. I would never do that to him, but I have to acknowledge that it was done. I didn't cause it, but as my race, I can become part of the cure of it. Come on, somebody. And that's where justice over silence comes in because it's not just a black and white thing. What, what, what about our Spanish brothers and sisters that sit and raise hands with us every Sunday because we didn't stop there. We went down to South America and to Mexico and we said, we're gonna take some of your land too. And what about our Native American brothers and sisters that sit in here every Sunday and worship with us and, and we shoved them over into the West and, and put them in the community and took part of their land. And what about our Asian brothers and sisters who are part of my natural family when Pearl Harbor hit, many of you don't know because we don't want to talk about it. After Pearl Harbor, we went and took 120,000 Japanese people and took them out of their homes and put them in a concentration camp for four years. So while we're saying, let's make America great again, there's many people going, I'm still waiting for it to become great. And we have to come and understand that and see through eyes that are not just like ours. Because you see, I'm not gonna understand Trumay's view. I'm not always gonna be able to see, and most of the time I will not be able to see through his eyes because I'm not black. As a pastor that has a multicultural family, if you're new here, I have two Asian, I have two biological children that look like me. I have two Asian children that don't look like me. And I have a granddaughter that's half black and half Asian who's listening to her papa preach right now in this building. We have a very diverse family, I have a diverse church. My life was almost destroyed at age 12 by three black men that tied me to a tree and tortured me in Quincy, Florida for hours. If I want to get mad, I can get mad. And if I want to judge a race, I can judge a race. But the black people didn't hurt me. Three men that happened to be black did. And I've learned to forgive them and love the people because Jesus died for all of us. I didn't hurt him, but my people did. And so I can never understand through his eyes, so I have to get close enough to him to know his heart, to get to know his heart, because I will never, no matter what he tells me, will I have the ability to see through his eyes. I can't, I never will, but if I can know his heart, live life together, eat together, fellowship together, pray together. And when I went through one of the, or not one, when I went through the darkest season of my life in 1998, my world crashed. I had no reason to live. I sat three days on my bed with a 40 caliber pistol in my head, wanting to die, and hell couldn't be worse than what I was going through at that time. My life was over. It was dark. His family, he was just a kid then. This family and other families in this church and black families in this church and in this community, black pastors in this town came and saved me. They came and rescued me and they loved on me and they spoke hope into my life. And can I tell you today that my son, my white son is preaching and pastoring this church today because my black son didn't bail out on me when it was the easiest thing to do. And I love you, man. And I'll never be able to see through your eyes so I need to see through your heart. And why is this message, why? 
Why, why take two Sundays and risk? Because this is a risky sermon. I applaud this pastor over here for being willing to do it. I applaud my son. So here's what we have to do, because I can't say I understand. I don't know what it's like to get in my car at night and drive home and say I'm afraid. I don't know if I'm going to get there alive or not. I remember when the shooting took place in Baton Rouge without the Sterling, and I, I got on Facebook and I read messages from men in my church who lift weights so much that their, their arms are bigger than my thighs. And they're on Facebook going, I'm afraid, I'm scared. They can bench press me. And they're going, I'm afraid to drive home at night. I can't turn a deaf ear to that and go, that's not real. It's very real. So what do I do as a pastor and a spiritual father to protect them because they're my children? I can't ignore that. I can't say I understand it. I don't have to understand it when I hear one of my people, not by color, but by the cross, by the love of Jesus saying, I'm afraid, then I do. I got to do what I got to do. You see, I don't care who has president in front of their name. They can't fix this. Only the kingdom of God can fix this. Only the kingdom of God can fix this. And that's why we want to take the risk to preach it here because God's not called us to just be another church. We're no better than anybody else, but we will be different because we're going to look past this and we're going to see this and we're going to know that Jesus loves us the same. So I know we're way over time today, but it's worth it. No apologies. What did Jesus do? He showed us what to do with the 12. The Bible said that he disrobed himself in front of the 12. And he took the disciples and he took and he washed their feet. Why did Jesus do that? Because you see, Jesus was saying something that the disciples knew that you and I don't get today, and that's why I want to take a minute to explain it to you. Because in Jesus' day, they wore sandals, and they walked many, many miles on dirt roads. And when they got home, their feet were filthy, and the foot was considered the dirtiest part of the body. And when that person would get into their home, they had slaves. Somebody say slaves. They had slaves that were there to serve them and their first task was they had a place by the door that when that master walked in, the slave's first job was to kneel down at a chair and the master would sit and the slave would take their shoes off and they would wash their feet before they entered and began to walk through their house. It was twofold. It kept the slave in their place knowing that they were less value and they have less worth and that was my master. What did Jesus do? He left the riches of heaven and became poor. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And he took our sin and our shame upon himself. That today, I can't fix what's happened in the past true. I can't change it. But I can tell you today, you're as valuable as I am. You're as important as I am. God has purpose and plan in his life just like he does mine. And in the eyes of God, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no black, there's no white. And we really genuinely need to start seeing through the eyes of Jesus today 
and realize today that there's nobody more important than anyone else. And when my brother's hurting, I hurt. And when my brother says, I'm afraid, I need to say, what do I need to do to protect you? That's the message Pastor Brad's been bringing is justice is now saying, I wanna stand in your place. I wanna feel your pain and let's win this battle together in Jesus' name. I thank God for the diversity of my genuine family here at Transformation Church. Why is this message so important? And I close with this. God's called us to reach this community for Jesus. We're gonna get it. I don't just mean here, I mean the city, community. And, and I believe that God has put a mandate on this church to be an example to other churches. Because if your community is diverse, your church should be diverse. You should look like your community. And I probably saw some, we, we had one of the amazing weekends of my life this weekend with the freedom. We had over 600 of us in a church service Friday night, Saturday for hours. We went through 12 weeks of this curriculum that changed our lives. And we're bringing it here in the fall in our small groups. In the midst, it was from about 10, 12 different churches in our city. And, and it was mainly people that are new converts and getting solid in God and going through things and getting saved and, and, and changed and set free. And it was amazing, man. It was one of the most powerful experiences of my life, but I sat against the wall and I cried. And this isn't to put negative on it at all, because it was awesome. But I sit back and I thought, because we teach you here about, Brad just talked about it, about your sphere of influence. Your in-group, your out-group, we reach that. We gotta get out of our in-group and go to our out-group with the same love. What hurt my heart yesterday was 95% of the people in there were my race. Which tells me that we're not going outside of our in-group to the out-group. We gotta change that. The church is not doing that. We're still operating on the extremes. If our community is diverse, our sphere of influence should be diverse, which means our church will be diverse in Jesus' name. And so I challenge you today, as Pastor Brad's gonna come and close it out, I challenge you today, let me dry this. We're so late on time, I'm trying to fly through this. I challenge us as a church, will you stand with us? And we normally never go this late. So if you're a guest, just give us a second chance next week. How many will say this worth it today? How many is worth it? Worth it. So I, I just want to challenge you as the message Pastor Brad has brought, let's look outside of our circle. Because some of the most important people in your life are people that don't look like you. It might just be the person in the deepest, darkest time of your life that God's gonna to use to save you and pull you out of your pain and out of your heartbreak. So Father, I just ask you to forgive us. Forgive me, forgive us of sin, of racism, of division, of hatred, of hostility, and of wrong. And I pray God that you will bring a healing and forgiveness into our hearts that we will now carry the heart of Jesus and we will see through your eyes, our brothers and our sisters today, that we can reach them with the hope of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor. I want you to...
stay standing for a second. I'm gonna do one more prayer very quickly. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to search your own heart. Take just a few seconds to acknowledge in your own heart where your bias and your discrimination exists. You don't have to tell it to anybody, but we know. And maybe you sit back and say, man, I'm definitely not racist. That's fine. But when we're biased, we're still not right. And so what I want you to do right now in your own reflection, I want you to let God show you, not just today, but every other day from here on out, how we can love each other better as we reflect Christ better to a community who so desperately needs to see Jesus in us. They said, how will you know that we belong to Jesus? And and Jesus' response was, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. Let's love each other better. Can we do that today, TC? Amen. All right. Listen, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, like Pastor said, we usually, I don't think we've ever gone this long before, but this is a fight worth fighting for because I love each one and every one of you. So maybe you're in this room and we didn't talk a lot about the gospel today, but here's the deal. Jesus has the life-changing, transforming power to save you from an eternity that without him leads to hell. But today he wants to save you from that. He went to the cross and when he went to the cross, he paid for your sins. And if today you put your faith in him, you can be saved. If you wanna know him today, you want Jesus to take control of your life and you want to be saved. We wanna give you the opportunity right now with everyone's heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. I wanna pray for you today. You say, that's me, pastor. I want Jesus to take control of my life. I wanna be saved. Would you lift your hand right where you sit? God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Hands are up all over this building. God bless you. I want Jesus to take control, Pastor. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer together. This prayer doesn't make you say putting your faith in Jesus alone. So repenting of your sins, which means to turn away, never to go back. And then putting your faith in Jesus, that's what makes you saved. But then we declare with our mouth what we've believed in our heart. And so today we're gonna pray a prayer and the whole church is gonna pray it with you. And this is just awesome. A day that we talk about unity and racial diversity and over seven people have lifted their hands to receive Jesus. TC, put your hands together right now for that. That's just amazing. Man, so awesome. So we're gonna pray this prayer with you. And if you raise your hand and you believe that in your heart, the whole church is gonna pray with you. You're not praying by yourself, even if you're watching us online and you want Jesus to take control. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose three days later. Through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. TC, put your hands together for all those that prayed that. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices 